You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Hey, hey, what you are about to hear is one of the few episodes that are live on location. Sometimes I'm live on location as in I'm in a car trying to get good, clean audio for y'all. But this one, I actually recorded the entire thing at She Podcast, which is the first ever podcon that I've been to. My first podcasting conference. It was excellent. A wonderful birthday present. So I was there on my birthday, which was Saturday as well as Sunday. I actually won that ticket from Buzzsprout, which is my podcast hosting platform. And it was really fun. It was good to kind of see and hear all the people around me while I was staying in my zone to get these definitions together for us. But it was a really good episode. And the show notes page for this one is raisingfreepeople.com forward slash vocab, V-O-C-A-B, because it's some vocab that I want us all to be familiar with and that I talk about all the time in this podcast. So... Shout out to She Podcast because it was really wonderful. It absolutely felt like community. The information that was shared was really useful. The types of workshops that the women chose. So one of my favorite ones was Dawn J. Fraser. She's a storyteller and a writing coach, and she's worked with Common and some other people. And she did this two-hour workshop on storytelling, and it was Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I took so many notes, connected with her immediately on LinkedIn and maybe on Instagram. I don't remember, but I'm going to put the link for Dawn Frazier, brilliant storyteller out of New York. I think she's in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. And then another one of my favorites was Lisa Orkin, who is also a storyteller. She does voiceover work and she was talking about creating ads for your podcast, which you will be hearing host read ads, but I'm going to do it in a way that is really based on people, businesses that I deeply love and services and products that I use. And I don't think it's going to get in the way here. And if you feel like it does, holla at me, let me know. But anyway, this woman, the other woman, her name is Lisa Orkin, and she did a workshop on ads. And she works, I think, for Jonathan Mead and Rich Roll and some other podcasters. Srini Rao with Unmistakable Creative, which has been one of my favorite podcasts for a really long time. She just talked about how she created ads that didn't get in the way and that were really human-centered, and I really appreciated that session too. So She Podcast gets my double thumbs up and a body roll (laughs) because it was really good. And I did a live episode there in the Buzzsprout booth. So that is what is coming up. Speaking of folks I love, my Patreon family, the Fair of the Free Child community over on Patreon. We got a new patron who came in also on my birthday. Shout out to Shannon, our newest patron. If you love what you hear in this or any other episode, please consider heading over to patreon.com forward slash Akila and saying, I dig the content, I support this podcast, and I want it to keep on going because that's what your support in that community means. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into these definitions. (laughs) 
All right. Peace, y'all. Akila S. Richards for another episode of Fair of the Free Child. So I am recording this episode live from She Podcast. I'm in the Buzzsprout booth. Shout out to Buzzsprout. That's who my podcast is with. <laughs> um, they do a great job. So I'm loving the space here. And I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and sign up and... Um, take some time to share this episode in this live environment because I've never done this before and it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, what I want to do is use this episode to do a check the vocab, check the vocab, if y'all into hip hop, old school hip hop. I realized that since this podcast focused on storytelling, Right. This is not a data and statistics focused podcast. We focus on storytelling. A big part of stories is shared meaning. Right. We use stories to connect. It is. I was just in a presentation with um, her name is Lisa Orkin. She does voiceover work for various podcasters. And she had a, a quote up. I don't know if it's hers, but it says stories are the communal currency of humanity. And I was really feeling that stories are the communal currency of humanity. So I decided that this episode is going to be about the vocab. I'm going to give you some definitions, my definitions. Um, most of them are mine that I made up and some are, you know, just general definitions out there that I agree with that will allow you as a listener to really be able to connect with the stories. Because sometimes I use terms, especially in this world of self-directed education, that y'all might not be familiar with. And I forget that sometimes. So 11 words that you will commonly hear on Fair of the Free Child podcast so that you and I can labrish and be on the same page. Hey, actually, I'm going to give you 12. The first one is labrish. <laughs> so... Labrish, L-A-B-R-I-S-H. I guess it's in the dictionary. I don't know. But how I know it is from Miss Lou. And y'all have heard me talk about, if this isn't your first time listening, Louise Bennett, Dr. Louise Bennett Coverly, who is one of my sheroes. She's a folklorist. Um, she was a lecturer. She was a comedian just a beautiful voice as a speaker, as a singer, and really helped to bring a Jamaican flavor to theater um, and the arts in Jamaica at a time when it was very much like focused on what we were used to, which was like a, a British focused type of humor and setup for theater and comedy and these sort of things. So she, along with other um, Jamaicans in the arts, really were instrumental in making sure that we celebrated our culture you know, as Caribbean people, and in a big part of that being our language, Patois, that's developed specifically for us in Jamaica. And when you get together and you talk about things that you're interested in, the term we use for that is labrish. So when we labrish on this podcast, this episode should help you feel more connected because you'll have some clarity around the definitions. I So let's start with the unschooling definition. Unschooling is a way of life that is based on freedom, respect, and autonomy. All right? So, in essence, unschooling is a child-trusting, anti-oppressive, liberatory, love-centered approach to parenting and caregiving. So, it's not just for parents. It's also for educators and other people who help to raise a child. 
Next up, self-directed education. Self-directed education is the umbrella term under which unschooling falls because unschooling is one type of self-directed education. And self-directed education just basically means that it's learner-chosen and learner-driven, even though it's not always learner-led, okay? So in self-directed education, you can still have a teacher. You can still have a straight-up teacher that's telling you exactly what to do, exactly when to do it. But you chose it for yourself. It wasn't forced upon you. And that's why it would be different than conventional schooling. So what I like to say about self-directed education, a lot of us like to say this is two two main things for you to be able to say, is this self-directed or not? Two things. One, did the child choose to do this activity or the person? Because unschooling and SDE, self-directed education, it's not just for kids. Did the person choose to do this activity? And then secondly, can they quit whatever they're doing with no recourse or pushback from an adult? Okay, so those are the two things that to help you distinguish, is this self-directed education or not? The first thing is, did the person choose to do this activity? And in the case of a child, can they quit whatever it is that they're doing with no recourse or pushback from an adult? This next one, also pivotal, integral, critical to my life, my studies, and certainly this podcast and the work around it is schoolishness. And here's how I define it. Schoolishness is basically any collection or individual part of conventional practices that are generally accepted by adults, but rejected by children and teenagers, either overtly or covertly. So schoolishness models an authoritarian model of adult-child interaction, as well as respectability ideas rooted in adults' innate superiority in knowledge and is therefore damaging to a healthy liberation practice. So for that one, I feel like it's good on paper, and if you're looking at it and really thinking about it, you'll get it. But just to make it even more simple, schoolishness is basically the idea that there is this binary for everything. There's a right and a wrong way. There's a right and a wrong answer. There's a way to do things and a way to not do things with very little in between. Anything that comes from that school of thought (laughs) is schoolishness. So, for example, with this episode, if you are thinking, gosh, it sure would be better if she just said the word and the definition for each of them. If she just went down the line and said the word and the definition, and then on the show notes page, I should be able to see the word and the definition. That is a schoolish mindset. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like you wanting it how you want it is bad, but you want it like that because everything tells you that I'm less likely to get it wrong on a test if it's specific like this. I'm more likely to be able to convey it exactly how Akila said it if it's written like this or if it's stated like this. Those are schoolish thoughts because you're afraid. It basically is things that are rooted in the fear of getting something wrong or doing something in a way that uh, most people won't understand or like or don't find valid. So, for example, if you feel like at a networking event, you should be able to say exactly what you do in 30 seconds or less because that's what everyone does. That's a schoolish thought. Again, it isn't necessarily bad. Some schoolish thoughts are pretty messed up. We'll talk about some of those. But it's not inherently bad. It's just rooted in the idea basically that there's a right and a wrong, which oftentimes can be really harmful. 
So an example of when schoolish would be bad, if you feel like you need to, in order for somebody to look professional, like a man, in order for a man to look professional, he needs to have a tie on, he needs to have a button-up shirt on. And even though in Western culture... Um, that is the standard, it's a very schoolish mindset because wearing that doesn't make you professional, right? There are actions that come with professionalism and we tie that particular type of attire to it. So someone could have on a regular T-shirt and jeans and still be deeply professional. Um, Another example, oh, accents. If someone speaks with a certain type of accent, we view them a certain way. For example, a British accent is often associated with authority. That's just what's true in terms of the um, perception out there. It's not true like that's the real deal. That's just what people think. So people um, will often employ someone with a British accent or who could do a British accent when they want to convey a sense of authority. That's a very schoolish thought. Because it isn't actually true. It actually is rooted in a a colonized mindset, I think, I would say. And colonization and schoolishness often go together because colonization... (laughs) Okay, I don't want to go too far into this one, but schoolishness or school itself and colonization work together. Schooling is a means of colonizing. And so when you are thinking in a way that focuses on what you learned in school as right or wrong, then you are absolutely in a space of colonized thinking. And we all, myself included, are constantly recognizing the ways that we consider things from a colonized perspective and have to do the work to really undo that. So that is schoolishness. Another term that you will hear me say on here often is pervasive whiteness. So pervasive whiteness is asserting whiteness into spaces through unsolicited actions, whether that's with voice, body, or mindset, that are dismissive of black people, indigenous people, people of color, our voices, our bodies, and our experiences. So white splaining <laughs> is a form of pervasive whiteness, and that one you could totally look up. The way that, um, easy example, you as, say, a black person, you are a member of a, a homeschooling co-op that is predominantly white, and you speak to somebody who helps to run or lead that co-op about how something feels oppressive or um, you know, unwelcoming for you as a black person. And then that white person goes on to... Not, not say that they hear you and not ask you other questions to further try to understand, but instead say, oh, well, that might be rooted in the idea that you don't really have a lot of experience in these spaces or this book that I read explained this to me and here's why and you know, here's what you could be doing differently. So all of the ways that because of how white people in our society are in a higher position of power, They can use that power to say, well, I've done my work. I know. So I'm going to silence your voice by not acknowledging what you're saying with my action, but acknowledge like by changing my action, but acknowledging it by trying to explain to you that I get it and to convince you that I get it and shift the focus over from whatever you're saying to whatever I think I understand. That that way of being that's white explaining. And that is a, a. an example, a characteristic of pervasive whiteness. Pervasive whiteness also is something that can be inflicted not by a person, but by an environment. 
meaning that the space does a lot of things that are normal and comfortable for white families, but not necessarily so for black, indigenous, and people of color families. Okay, so that's what I mean when I say pervasive whiteness. It doesn't mean a white person. It doesn't even mean white people. It's action oriented. It's the environment that is created as a result of a particular mindset. Another term, other mothering, all one word, other mothering. I want to say, I want to say it was bell hooks. Mm. If it's not, I'll put it in the show notes page. But in terms of where I first heard it, other mothering is speaking about the ways that someone who isn't a biological mother helps to nurture and care for and support children. So it can be another family member, like in my case, where my mother left me and my brother with my father's mom because that's someone she trusted, that's someone she knew would fully take care of her children. Um, and she did a wonderful job. Shout out to my grandma. <laughs> um, shout out to both of my grandmas, but my grandma Mavis, who in part raised me and my brother, um, she is still with us on this particular planet and this realm. So other mothering just means the ways that someone who isn't necessarily your biological is supporting community in raising a child, okay? Another term is reparenting. I feel like I haven't used that one much, but I will be going forward. I use it a lot in my writing, and I want to absolutely start using it more here on the podcast. Reparenting is to go back to your own inner child and be what you needed now. So you as your adult self, if you're listening to this and you're an adult, or maybe even before then actually, so at some point in your childhood, there were things that you needed that your parents, for whatever reason, or caregivers were not able to provide for you, whether it was a sense of safety, whether it was a sense of love, whether it was like a specific set of things that they did that really broke down big parts of your spirit, those things are now being um, addressed by you, the adult, kind of going back to your inner little girl or inner little boy and um, connecting with them and saying, I'm sorry that happened to you. Here's what I needed and working towards actually solving that. And then life design is one we talk about all the time. And it's exactly what it sounds like being really deliberate about structuring your day, not just your vacation time and not just your work time, but all of the aspects of what make you you. Intersectionality. Last one. Intersectionality is basically about the multiple ways that identities intersect. So when you think about a person like me, I'm not just a woman, right? I'm a woman, I'm black, I'm Jamaican, I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster. So that mix of things are the intersections of me. And so it allows you to look at people from a more dynamic perspective. We're going to stop there with those and go to the show notes page, raisingfreepeople.com forward slash vocab, and I will have them listed there. Thanks for listening. Much love. Chat to you next week.